Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. You try to play nice, everybody just took advantage You left your fridge open, somebody just took a sandwich I said, baby, what if you was clubbing, thugging, hustling Before you met your husband, then I said What if Mary was in the club, but she met Joseph Around hella thugs, cover Nori and lamb's wool We surrounded by the fucking wolves What if Mary was in the club but she met Joseph with no love, cover saint and lamb's wool. And she was we surrounded by, surrounded by the fucking wolves. We don't funk with racism. We don't funk with people who don't support the LGBTQ plus community. And baby, we damn sure don't funk with anybody who don't love a beautiful black queen, baby. You see this case? They go low, I go low up. You don't let nobody act black and then go home and be white? I got two pistols and a pit bull, me. That's all I need. It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. You think Harriet Tubman was walking around with a fucking nice shiny fucking dress on with a fucking crown on her head when she was taking slaves? To freedom! And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. And we are back with the Afrocentric Podcast. I am your host, Morgan Gray, and the title of this episode is Freestyle for the Vultures. I'm so excited. Top of the motherfucking year to you motherfucking niggas, man. It's only been a couple days and America's already worse than it was last year. That's ironic. Now, this episode, Freestyle for the Vultures, divulges into the complex issues surrounding cultural appropriation and its profound impact on the black community. Now, 
Throughout this episode, we will be exploring concepts like culture vultures, cultural appropriation, cultural appreciation, as well as gatekeeping. And what we're going to be doing is shedding light on how these various cultures often admire and adopt elements from the black culture without paying the necessary respect or supporting the black community. Now for y'all, for my listeners, for my supporters who are not from Mississippi or America, and they might not give a fuck about nothing but the goddamn tide. I don't give a piss about nothing but the tide, baby. Don't give a piss about nothing but tide. Blitz, Bama, Blitz, baby. Blitz, Bama, Blitz. I love America and I love the tide, baby. A vulture is a very large bird. It's a big bird, okay? And what a vulture does is it preys on you, okay? So it belongs to the aviation family and it is closely related to the hawks, the bald eagles and the falcons and such. And you know, they they big black birds and their head is bald, it's unfeathered. And it's thought that their head is bald to help keep the head clean while feeding. And it plays a role in its thermal regulation. Help, you know, it helps you know, get right, shake back, get it together. So what vultures are mostly known for is their distinctive scavenging behavior and the fact that they feed on the remains of dead animals. I want y'all to keep that in mind. Now, in a figurative sense, the term vulture can also be used to describe a person or organization that often preys greedily or on others during a time of difficulty or problems. So we'll get more into that as we discuss cultural appropriation and the vultures and the birds and the bees and such. Um, before I let you guys continue, I wanna say Stay updated on our latest episodes and to continue the conversation we really want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast your support is so crucial in amplifying the voices and the experiences shared here on the afrocentric platform i wanted to let you guys know that we really value your feedback please take the moment to leave a comment or review your thoughts and input are so essential in shaping the content that I deliver and ensuring that we address the topics that resonate with you. So I wanna thank you guys again for being a part of the Afrocentric community. Together we can continue to shed light on important issues, celebrate black culture and work towards a more inclusive future. Stay connected, stay engaged, stay informed. Make sure to subscribe, comment, and let your voice be heard. We gotta stop letting people appropriate our culture. I think it's very disrespectful when we let non-Africans appropriate the culture because everybody wants to be black when it's time to play ball, when it's time to rap, when it's time to drink, go to the club, smoke some weed, buy some clothes, right? When it's time to floss and drip, everybody wanna be black, but when it's time to fight against police brutality, where are they then? Scared.
Has DJ Khaled ever been in a police Oops. brutality march? Oops. Because DJ Khaled has exploited black culture. Oops. He is an Arab. What has he done for black culture? Eminem, what has he done? DJ Vlad, what has he done? Look at all these non-Africans who are making millions of dollars off of our culture, but they never show up yeah, when we got to go to war against racism. And I don't even blame them. I'm not blaming Khaled, I'm blaming us. Because show me another people who will let an outsider mm, come them. in, yeah, we accepted exploit them. Yeah. my culture, make millions off of it, but you never around when it's time for us to defend black life. You always there when it's time to exploit black culture. You never around when it's time to defend black life. Understanding culture vultures. To recap, the vulture is a very large bird that often preys on animals. It belongs to the aviation family, closely related to hawks, eagles, and falcons. They are known for their distinctive scavenging behavior, as well as feeding on the remains of dead people. Now, the term culture vulture in and of itself is often used to describe individuals typically from a dominant culture who inappropriately adopt or exploit elements of a culture of which they do not belong to now this includes practices where culturally significant attire using specific language or appropriating cultural traditions for personal gain now let's think what would be a good example of cultural appropriation i don't know maybe cinco de mayo boy and the european americans of the united states of the north they got a real big they love cinco de mayo more than the hispanics do and that day is there to celebrate they dead they put on sombreros they put on, I don't know, conchos, and they go swallow a ton of alcohol. That is an example of cultural appropriation. Or when the Europeans of America, the northern part, go to Africa, and they come back wearing dashikis and playing a drum and telling everybody they practice Ifa now, that is an example of cultural behavior, specific attire, specific language, as well as appropriating or taking on those cultural traditions for personal gain. We got to keep in mind that the concept of cultural appropriation on one hand refers to the adoption of these elements, and it is very disrespectful and oftentimes it includes the stereotypes of many people. This concept is extremely complex and it's sensitive and it has a very harmful effect on the culture and the people that are being uh, appropriated. So we're here to specifically talk about the Negroes of the American North on top of South America on the Western Hemisphere, the Blacks.
we're here to talk about the term culture vultures. Now, the term culture vultures refers to individuals who adopt elements from a culture outside of their own and make it their own, often without proper respect or understanding of that cultural significance. Now, the term itself, culture vulture, is synonymous with the phrase cultural appropriation. Culture vulture is the noun. Them the people. Who, what, when, where, and why. Who? The culture vultures. Cultural appropriation is the verb. What did they do? They culturally appropriated the action of cultural appropriation. Okay? So they synonymous. They synonyms. They evil twin and they evil twin. You know, you don't know which one you're going to do. You can use them together. So the phrase culture vultures is synonymous with cultural appropriation. And this is where a dominant culture exploits aspects of a minority culture outside of its own. Now, this phenomenon has been extremely prevalent in various forms, such as the adaptation of African-American cultural elements by individuals from other cultural backgrounds. So the concept of culture vultures in and of itself is closely linked to the erasure of the history and the cultural nuances of the original culture, leading to the distortion and the disrespect of its practices and traditions. Now, the term in and of itself is not limited to any specific cultural domain, but it encompasses a wide range of cultural practices. This includes things like music, dance, fashion, and appearance. But for the purposes of this episode here on the Afrocentric podcast, available all in all listening platforms, we're going to be focusing on the cultural appropriation in the context of Black culture, okay? And I have a lot of examples of how certain cultures admire Black culture, but they often fail to respect Black people, give Black people their credit, or provide opportunities to gain financially. Now, cultural appropriation in the context of Black culture, it encompasses a large range of information. But for the purposes of this episode, we're going to be focusing on whitewashing and black. Now, when we're discussing the culture vultures and how they move and they operate, they usually take one or two, if not both, um, tactics. And those tactics are whitewashing and black fishing. Whitewashing is the practice of casting white actors in non-white roles in film and television, and that can lead to the erasure of people of color from media representation. Now, the term whitewashing can more broadly refer to the act of glossing over or covering up something such as um, history, a record of criminal behavior, or the true facts about a situation. Now, I think the greatest example of whitewashing that we will ever see is going to be Egypt, okay? Now, let me take y'all back, man. In 2020, they had just came out with the um, banana-flavored backwoods, okay? 
and I was so excited. I I couldn't find no banana backwoods nowhere in Starville in in my hometown, and I would go everywhere looking for these backwoods. I was in Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana. It wasn't until like six months later I go to Jackson, Mississippi, and I stop at this um Arab gas station. And the dude has got the banana backwoods. Dude telling me he gassing the backwoods up. He telling me he done went to New York. He telling me he done went to South America, dug up the tobacco plants. He done evaded green thumb and tobacco poisoning and put the banana on the tobacco and grew it himself and rolled it up and flew it from Colombia to New York to here. This dude telling me everything. And he, and, um, I said, okay, yeah, I want to buy that. I want that deal. And, of course, he overcharged me for them um, backwoods. And we'll talk about that later. Now, the purpose, I'm telling you this story because when I went to pay for the backwoods, I pulled my money from up out of my purse. And if for anyone who knows me, um, you know that I collect rings. And I wear probably like 10, 12 rings on both on my hands like a day. And two of my favorite rings are um, are is a ring. I have a ring that is from um, it represents Queen Ibel. I have a tribal mask on my left hand, and on my right hand, I wear a ring that is King Tut. So when I pull my money from about of my wallet, he looks down at my hand. And he goes, oh, my God, I love your rings. You got one from the Middle East and you got one from Africa. And I look at this joker and I'm in my mind, both of these rings come from Africa because, you know, the continent is vast. It's one of the larger ones, you know. And if my memory served me correctly back then and here now, um, Egypt is up there at the top of Africa. And I looked at that man and I say, you think Egypt is the Middle East? And he said, yeah. And I said, I don't think it's white folks. I think it's Negroes. I do not think this is white folks. It could be. It could be white folks. But I think it's Negroes. I think a Negro did this. So I took my banana backwoods and I left. But that is that that right there shows you the whitewashing of history. And it shows you how complex and contentious this issue is. Now, the concept of cultural appropriation has been linked to the field of Egyptology, with um, some arguing that Western fascination with Egypt, ancient Egypt to be more specific, has really led to this misrepresentation and the romanticization of Egyptian culture. And this can really be seen through the adaptation of Egyptian symbols and iconography and Western art, architecture, and in popular culture. And this phenomenon in and of itself is known as Egyptomania, okay? And y'all know that. Y'all know that. Y'all know that. Just like people that tell you the Egyptians, they're not black. Egypt is in Africa, folks. Yeah. As long as Egypt is in Africa, then Egyptians are African. 
the impact of cultural appropriation in Egypt and its people has really been like this this source of frustration. And it's because of the misrepresentation of ancient Egyptian civilization and the looting of those cultural artifacts um, during the colonial era. So the whitewashing of ancient Egypt and its misrepresentation has really led to this sense of loss and frustration amongst Egyptians who view ancient Egypt as a part of their African cultural heritage. And the appropriation of Egypt culture, particularly within the West that's here in America and in Hollywood and in entertainment has been crazily criticizing for the perpetuation, historical re-envisioning and the misrepresentation of the cultural heritage of Egypt. Now, this can really seem, it can be seen in Hollywood, especially like those old ass Hollywood movies like from the 50s and 60s more specifically it's this movie is called Gods of Egypt and you know it got Mary Tyler Moore that's a white woman pale from the Caucasus Mountain playing Cleopatra she gripped in gold baby got the eye horse on top of her head and you know i don't know if y'all don't know but white people went in africa i don't think they could make it you know that's not really historically accurate but that stuff like that has a ripple effect on how people perceive um egyptians how people like them niggas is right there by the equator the darker, the closer you get to the equator, the darker you get. Now, y'all got to put two and two together because them was not no white people. And uh, there's this history, especially after the reign of Cleopatra, um, her marriage to Mark Antony. They all got killed except for one of her daughters. And, you know, then I believe it was the Greeks that came over and took over Egypt. And then that's when all the Hewlett's came, I believe. So this controversy really streams from the misrepresentation of the race. And mainstream scholars really do reject this notion that Egypt was white or it had um it or the role that it played in the mainstream media with and they really want to focus on the fact that there were varying complexions in Egypt ranging from light to dark as all black people have and that the modern concept of race does not apply to the ancient world and that's very true because you know race is a very new concept it's very new it wasn't until like the 15, 1600 folks started focusing on race, but that was a conversation for another day. Well, I also wanted to talk about um, the Sphinx, the Sphinx in Egypt, and how, especially when they got the loot, they um they only removed the noses off the Sphinx. Um, and Cat Williams. He probably put it best in his interviews when he talked about if they were going to destroy the Sphinx. And for those who are having a brain fart, the Sphinx are these giant um, memorials in Egypt with the body of the lion and the head of a human 
I think the most famous one depicts the uh, Pharaoh at the time, King Ramses, or and there's another one of his son. And um, when they got the looting, they 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 smashed the noses off of these statues. And Cat Williams said, like, if you don't want people to know that those people were black, that would be the main signifier of the African races to know why else they're whitewashing that history. Because you can look at it and say, oh, that's a person. But without the nose, you would not know that they were culturally black. And I got to thinking. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Because they didn't smash no other part on their face. And I was thinking, I was like, maybe what if they was in Asia? And you know, Asian, their facial signifiers are their eyes. Because they really tight. Do that mean that they would have smashed the eyes out of them? Uh, with Out of their stuff too? Because that's how you know that they was Asian. Based off that. So... You get what I'm saying. The claim that ancient Egyptians were black has been a subject of debate for years. And with some really rejecting it um, as it is a response to Eurocentric bias, while others argue for the African heritage of ancient Egypt. And the whitewashing of ancient Egypt continues to be a very contentious issue with conflicting perspectives on the race and the portrayal of ancient civilization. You probably wonder, why do white people pay so much attention to black people if they don't like them? You would think if you didn't like something, why would you right. be paying attention to it? I don't pay attention to things I don't like. What's the answer? The answer is the liar knows what lie he told. You see what I'm saying? So even if I made it deceitful and I made you think that the answer is over here, but the answer is really over here, I'm still going to be looking over here. Me, the one that tricked, because I know this is the right answer. Black people have lost their identity, but our oppressors have not lost our identity. <sighs> That's just why they chopped those noses off of the pharaoh and the sphinx in Egypt in the first place. Is because without this nose, we can tell you this is whoever it is. But with that nose, it can only be why would somebody vandalize a whole face and only vandalize one part? Nobody wanted to knock an eye off or take an ear off or no chins missing. Nope, just the nose. Because it's a brand. Now, whitewashing in academia, that mess is ridiculous and I feel like if you are alive in this year you know that that uh, academia is whitewashed specifically history in academia is completely so freaking whitewashed an example I got for y'all um, is not specifically academia but it does uh, involve plagiarism cultural appropriation in these academic spaces um, they have most definitely found their way into pop culture and it is extremely harmful and what it does is it over it oversimplifies or um it treats minority people or minority groups as a joke 
Now, Melania Trump's 2016 speech at the Republican National Convention, wild. That porn star really got up there on that podium and she really copied Michelle Obama's 2008 Democratic Convention speech. Like, you work hard for what you want in life. That your word is your bond, that you do what you say you're gonna do. My parents impressed on me the values that you work hard for what you want in life. That your word is your bond and you do what you say and keep your promise. That you treat people with dignity and respect even if you don't know them and even if you don't agree with them. That you treat people with respect. They thought and showed me values and morals in their daily life. That is a lesson that I continue to pass along to our son. And we need to pass those lessons on to the many generations to follow. And Barack and I set out to build lives guided by these values and to pass them on to the next generation because we want our children and all children in this nation to know that the only limit to the height of your achievements is the reach of your dreams and your willingness to work hard for them. Because... Because we want our children in this nation to know that the only limit to your achievements is the strength of your dreams and your willingness to work for them. He copied my whole fucking flow. That's kiss me through the phone. He copied my whole fucking flow. Word for word, bar for bar. If she could have put a little spank on it, she would have. But y'all know she got that Russian accent, so she already got it. Yeah. So she like real life. She got up there and she real life mimicked Michelle Obama's speech that she had given eight years prior. And y'all know that later she don't, they don't speak good English. So she did what she could, but with the resources she had, she said, give me the last speech they gave that they won't even remember it. But somebody fucked around and remembered it. So um, a lot of scholars, and it's not just me, scholars and faculty members, they highlighted this, this speech as a form of historical appropriation. And they emphasize the failure of Melania of crediting Michelle Obama for her inspiration. And they also discuss the racial implication and the erasure of Obama's endorsement of American values. Now, this incident specifically was viewed through the lens of cultural appropriation, accularization, racial dynamics, with some people drawing parallels to academic plagiarism and the defense of the eggs as a form of scholarship European style. So yeah, what she did was that she ripped that latest speech off and she said, I'm gonna make it a little white and that'll be all right. And that's really what she did. My favorite example of whitewashing is always gonna be the Kardashians and plastic surgery culture. Their whole influence of like body, dysmorphia body positivity all this stuff is so ironic to me now the kardashians have faced this crazy amount of criticism 
for really appropriating those black features and we saw that and we know that and what it did was it really normalized um black cultural elements such as full lips curvier figures them fat asses you know kim had a whole uh bellini sitting on her backside with a champagne bottle going over her head you know black women been doing this since the 80s like come on so they really do whitewash the features of black women they normalize it and they kind of what they do is, is they take it and it's no longer black things anymore it's, it's just normal things and you know people don't do that like if i was walking around with chopsticks in my hair they'd be like you you dress like an asian person and i'd be like you correct but if the kardashians did it they'll just be like oh you got sticks in your hair because you erased them where it came from they're like mm, yeah yeah i saw it on pinterest and they just kind of take credit for everything so we saw this up until like last year 2003 or the ending of 2022 where um the kardashians dissolved all their filler removed all their body fat away from their bodies and now they're super healthy like super skinny um and it just kind of shows you how they know that they've been taken from black culture is because like whenever they get ready they can go back to being white white people again and i understand the kardashians or arabian but they really just um white women that eat hummus if she ain't black she's white see that's what i'm talking about mommy that's just ridiculous act the life that's crazy latino women a white woman with a taco oh so i just guess asian women a white woman who knows speak of the goddamn english so there's no, I really don't see no difference. Um, and this also really applies to Ariana Grande too, just because Ariana Grande really also had y'all in a chokehold. We ain't know what background Ariana came from. I thought she was Hispanic. Ariana Grande. I ain't know she was Hispanic. She had half y'all thinking she was mixed some of us like her brother was on big brother so eventually i found out that she was pure blood bred white now for the older people that listen ariana grande is a pop singer um she has been accused of appropriating black culture through her adoption of certain elements that mimic black women such as her use of aave african near african-american vernacular english as well as the fact that the bitch tanned her backside off um for a lot of her music videos a lot of her stage performances shot it was black and orange she looked like a burnt dorito and she really was using a, a slang accent and the same thing that the kardashians did is the same thing that ariana grande did when she got where she wanted to go and she had made the money that she needed she reverted back into a white woman and now she on the book shook ariana grande walking around looking like my pinky finger oh allegedly she is on that book sugar forgive me she walking around here skinny and pale with no eyebrows on she's sleeping with a married man because that's what white women do you know so the impact of ariana grande 
is the fact that she sparked the discussions about the erasure of the cultural origins of these elements and their commercialization by non-black individuals. And people have said this for a very long time that oftentimes when it, when it comes to like, because it's oftentimes when it comes to white people entering spaces, especially like music or like social media and stuff like that, because black culture is the dominant culture they have to adopt it in order to be accepted by society and then where they get where they want to go then they revert back to their original culture and then they make music and stuff for them right white women are the most insecure types of women and before you say anything stick with me till the end because i'm going to explain every single reason why i'm saying this first let me start by showing you something Okay, so we know that the Kardashians started this whole BBL trend and the lip filler trend. And I knew this would happen. Who knows if that's true or not, whatever. But I knew that at any point, the Kardashians could reverse their BBLs or dissolve their lip filler. And all of a sudden, that trend of having a slim, thick body and big lips would slowly fade away. Beauty trends change over time. We know this. Just a few years ago, it was Paris Hilton. You got to be a size double zero. Now it's Kim Kardashian. You got to be slim, thick. People like to act dance on purpose, but we all know who the Kardashians are trying to emulate. Nobody is saying that there aren't white people who have naturally big lips or are naturally slim thick. And nobody is saying that there aren't people of other races and ethnicities who have those features naturally. But let's not pretend that having a large butt, slim thick body doesn't specifically come from black people. And black people were specifically discriminated against and scrutinized for those natural features. Now, the Kardashians are notorious for cultural appropriation. Like, we've seen this time and time again. This, this isn't new. And if you've seen my cultural appropriation playlist, you've heard me say time and time again that white people pick and choose things from different cultures and try them on like a costume and then take them off when it's convenient for them. But here's the thing, the stuff that white people pick and choose from different cultures doesn't stop at hairstyles and clothing. It's also race and skin color. Ariana Grande is a prime example of how white women can use skin color and race as an accessory, like a purse or a scarf. She went from this to this to now this. And when it becomes beneficial to her career, and it will, she will rebrand herself as white whenever the hell she wants. So bringing it back full circle, lip filler, BBLs, excessive tanning, these are things that we see specifically with who? White women. Once again, for the people who like to act dance on purpose, no one is saying that white women are the only people who get BBLs, lip filler, and tan. We all know that that's not true. But I'm talking specifically about white women in this video. So if you want to talk about another group of women, go ahead on your own time. But that's not what this is about. And it's interesting to me that white women seem to be the most affected by these trends, even though they are the closest ones to the beauty standard. They are the beauty standard. They're white. And I feel like it comes mostly from the white women who identify most closely with their whiteness. We should all know by now that whiteness has no culture. Whiteness is empty. Whiteness is power and privilege, and that's it. There's nothing else. And they seem to crave some sort of sense of belonging to something. So they pick and choose from different cultures to try to feel a part of something. And it's like, babes, you have your own culture. Go connect to your Irish or Scottish heritage or something. Black fishing is where individuals from non-black backgrounds mimic black appearances for social or financial gain. Now, when 
when I think about black fishing, the first person I think about is Rachel. What is it? Deloza. She got a Hispanic lad name, but there's a white woman. Y'all, so Rachel was um, falsely claiming to be a black woman, and she led an NAACP chapter, and she was appropriating black identity for a personal and professional gain. Do you yourself feel like you've deceived anyone? No, I don't. I mean, I think, you know, don't we all have the right to be exactly who we are. When did you identify yourself as being black? When did you identify yourself? Just, it, was it a year? Was it when you were little? Was yeah. it, you know, when, when did you like say, I'm Rachel? Because we've all seen the pictures. Mm -hmm. You were born white, a beautiful little white girl, you know, Shirley Temple type, you know. And then all of a sudden you became black Rachel. When did that happen? Well, I have always seen myself as black since I was really young. Okay. And I have been identified by others as biracial, probably around 1998. And then since about 2006, I have um, self-identified as black. Got it. Now, this is my, my other question. Because um, you in my house, okay? So let's get real, all right? Let's, let's get real. We're just trying to figure this out so that people understand where yeah. you're coming from. Because mm -hmm. there were some people that felt that you never identified yourself as white. So, like, when you went to Howard University, some people felt like they never knew you were white, you were black. And so they felt like maybe the scholarship or when you, the, you know, when you got admitted to Howard, that took an opportunity from a black woman. So that's why a lot of people, it's like, we, you can identify for well, sure. you're beautiful. But we're trying to understand why, in some instances, yeah. you never told people that you, you were, were white. white. Yeah. I mean, it, are you ashamed of being white? Well, like Dick Gregory says, white isn't a race, it's a state of mind. Okay, Nothing but you know, but no, no, let me tell you something. I'm black. I can't be you. I can't reverse myself. Right. I, let me tell you, Rachel, if the police got the me, the police got me. You you could th you could throw that off and show that little like nice fine hair up under and you might get away. I may not. I may not even make it in the jail. Well, so it's a difference. Okay, it's a big difference. Well, Rachel, mm -hmm. following that, I have a question. Right. What does what does being black mean to you? And why 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 do you want to be black? Well, I think that you know sometimes how we feel is more powerful than how we're born. Okay. Mm -hmm. And. Um, blackness can be defined as philosophical, cultural, okay. biological, you know, yeah, a lot of different things, right. a lot of different people. And I think you do have to kind of like walk the walk if that's how, who you are. Okay. So, yeah. so you feel that you walk the walk of a black woman? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, uh, go ahead, get your line. No, I just want to say, could you expand on that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, walking the walk in terms of philosophical and cultural, like what I was talking about as far as the broader definition, the pan-African definition of um, blackness, I think um, you're talking about then changing it to um, a black woman. Is there a singular experience? Is uh, there one absolutely. experience? Absolutely. Um, there are opportunities that I might not get that you can have only because of the color of my skin, not because I'm a smart, beautiful, amazing mother, wife, and entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
Even as successful as I am now, there are lots of doors that I can't walk into that you can definitely walk into. So I just really want to know, like, have you ex have you ever experienced anything like that? The police mark black on my traffic tickets. Wait, they what? They what? <laughs> no, I want to hear that because I'm interested. You know, you get the B, the W, or the U. You know, the, the W is for white, the U is for unidentifiable, yeah. the B is for black. So it's all based on the police. Don't, when they pull you over, they don't say, are you black? Are you white? You know, they, they identify you. Now, wow. okay, um, you have compared your journey to Caitlyn Jenner's journey. So, you know, you said there are similarities and there are differences. And you said that people, they, you felt like people treat Caitlyn, you know, they're, they're accepting they to her. her, but they're not accepting to you. Why do you think that? Well, I certainly applaud Caitlin for discovering herself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, again, you know, what does it mean to be a little different from your spouse or your children mm -hmm. and yet no less than 100% mother? Oh, my God. Because she, she was walking around here. She was head, she was queen of the Negroes. They had named her queen of the Negroes for the night. She had her crochet faux locks in, that orange and brown skin, girl. And she, my sister, Malcolm X said, Martin Luther King said, Asada, Asada Shakur. That was Rachel DeLosa. And she really fooled these folks. And you know what? That's the problem. They show you right there, NAACP. Something is wrong inside y'all chapter. If that lady was able to walk around that organization and y'all was not, it took y'all so long to pick up on it. She led the chapter. That means she worked her way up. It ain't no way. And I know that NAACP chapter was probably full of older people. That's the only way they weren't able to pick up on it because they probably weren't even paying attention to what that lady was doing. Cause they just don't make no kind of pick of sense deal. She sat up there and worked her way. Shada said started from the bottom. Now we here. Okay. So they found out about it. You know, she said, in my mind, I want to be free. She said she was a white woman, um, a black woman born in the wrong body. Y'all know how these folks say. Um, it really did. The impact of her situation, it really highlighted the complexities of racial identity and the harm that can be caused by individuals misrepresenting themselves as black. I mean, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Okay. When I was talking about whitewashing, y'all know what I should have talked about. We need to talk about them bleaching creams. Them bleaching creams. That's a great example of whitewashing. Especially over there with y'all, Africa. Oh, Nigeria. Oh, we. Y'all so bad. Let me tell y'all, let me tell y'all, let me tell y'all. So, um, they be, you know, they be using them bleach cream. I told y'all it's called that Care White. It's in an orange bottle. And they got a white woman's plaster right there on the top. And I seen it one time I had went to the hair store. Y'all know I be talking to the Africans. So I had seen them Africans and he had some. So when I had went to the hair store, I seen some baby sitting up there in the front. Them Asian folks sure got a sense of humor. Okay, you know what? I'm sorry, but you doing a little too much around here, okay? I mean, you ain't trying to what? Brighten up the place. You's trying to whiten up the place. For real. Either them, them Indians, not the Native Americans, the Indians. 
from India over there with that that damn that man y'all know the 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 wedding industry over in india is so lucrative but they have a caste system south america also had a caste system in america we don't have a caste system so they treat you real bad based off your skin color so like when them indian women when they get and them nigerian women i'm so sorry to tell y'all they get ready to go get married and them makeup artists get up in there and get to putting the lightest creamy crack base on their face. I'm talking about neck, hands, and face, three different colors, boo. And they just be sitting up there just smiling in the camera. What type of delusional demon is you playing with, girl? Get you some foundation that match your skin. It ain't never, it ain't never been that serious to love yourself. So that's a, a great example of whitewashing, okay? Now, back to black fishing. The greatest example of black fishing, I feel like, goes on in the rapping industry. And it personally, I feel like it's because the rap industry is dominated by men, and y'all men don't be standing up and telling these white wiggles that they wrong. Y'all need to tell them wiggles that they can't come to the cookout, and we're going to we're gonna talk about gatekeeping a little bit more but these white rappers specifically because it's not just the white ones but the white rappers specifically eminem lil mabu and then like artists like justin timberlake have all been criticized for appropriating black music and culture without fully acknowledging the origins of the art firm now y'all so bad off y'all we as a black community created hip-hop but men will argue you down that a white man eminem the best artist in the game like lil wayne ain't sitting right here Mark, you don't think eminem is one of the best rappers of all time according to who you rap fans let me say something to you and this is going to my african fundamentalism no non-african can ever be the best of anything African. It is an insult to the ancestors, it is an insult to the race, and it is an insult to every black person. Do you think I could go to Palestine and be the best anything of Palestinian culture? You never see that. You think I could go to go to Israel and be the best of anything in Israel, whether it be a cook, an instrumentalist, a dancer? Hell no. And we have to stop yeah, naming non-African people, I Joe. But I disagree. Stay with me, though. Let me finish this. We got to stop naming non-African people as being the best of any aspect of our cultural product because can. it is an insult. You can. It is an insult. We can acknowledge that the talent is the best. Yes, but, I can but, acknowledge Eminem's title. We should, he's, but let me tell you. Go ahead. What, what, For you to put him at the top, that's, 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 that's white supremacy. That's white supremacy. What's white culture? I don't see Eminem building those so, schools and hospitals. I don't see DJ Khaled building those schools and hospitals. I don't see DJ Vlad building no damn bets in supermarkets. Yo, I'm asking Hell no. <laughs> okay. Now, Lamabu. So, Lamabu is a white guy. He's like a 22 year old college student. He is in school for like biochemistry, engineering, like some super hard and exclusive. 
and in his downtime, he is a rapper. Like this dude, he looked like the new version of Spider-Man. He looked like his name's supposed to be Fitzgerald. And he is a real life drill rapper. So yeah, he probably got the most famous when he did this song with um Krishan. The one about um him taking Krishan away from her baby daddy blue face. But he just got a news track that just came out. And you know, he's sitting up there rapping and he's saying he can't say the N-word. So another big jolly bastard black man hop in, he gonna say the N-word for that white man. Backpacks for the rulers, yeah. I got a white shooter. And no, I ain't shooting no schools up. Yeah, I feel like the drill tutor. Wait, can I do a hit on a school? He look like a singer, but white boy, get up on him. You can't say the word, I'ma say it for him. You're not the biggest, I'm bigger. You just a broke little nigga. And I'm young, and I'm richer. Five bands on a fit. Five bands on a fit, put your pillow looking like a tea bag, nigga. And I say, look at this. This white man, this white man got your mind warped. Just how up. You ready to hop up and degrade your people for this white man? I do it, massive. Let me. I volunteer for tribute, sir. Get what y'all sound like. So I sit up here and I say, okay, that's cultural appropriation. It is, but y'all let him do it. So, you know, who am I to be mad? I just won't stream it. He just won't get none of my money. That's how you solve situations like this. Now, Justin Timberlake, that's a whole nother can of worms because he's not even a rapper. Y'all know Justin Timberlake. Y'all remember Justin? Like, so Britney Spears wrote a documentary this summer. She came out with a book this summer and she dated Justin Timberlake. And she talked about how him, the Backstreet Boys, all them white men sat up there and whenever they were in big spaces in front of the cameras, the tabloids, whatever, they would act black. And they talked about how disgusting it was. And, you know, Justin Timberlake is known, like, he has a terrible reputation. He the reason why Janet Jackson nipple came flying out during the Super Bowl performance. Like, he just, like, he seemed like a very terrible white guy to be around. You know, we can throw Justin Bieber up in there, too. But I think he really kind of just dressed like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't need one open that can of worms. But the impact of this stuff, it has like created these questions about power dynamics in the music industry. And again, what it does is it erases um the black contributions to these art forms. Like just imagine you got black folks down here in Jackson and motherfucking Tuvalu. You got black folks down in the Delta. Like it's folks down here trying to make it out through rap. And this one white boy spit six lame bars, and y'all crown him the king of rap. That's what y'all do. And it, what it does is it takes away from all these folks out here grinding, starving, hustling, and who have grinded and made it. Y'all taking away all that contribution just because somebody want to sit up here and act like us, dress like us, and talk like us, and can't even do it right. Let the niggas that do it do it right. Justin Timberlake has finally responded after Britney Spears exposed him in her new book for acting black and being a culture vulture. However, his response did not help his case at all. 
Britney's long-awaited memoir, The Woman and Me, is officially out, and it's full of bombshells about Justin, who spent years painting himself as a victim and using Britney's struggles to further his own career. After exposing him for cheating and pressuring her into getting an abortion, Britney also revealed that Justin would also use a fake accent in front of black people. Now, we could maybe chalk this up to Justin being young and not knowing better if he also hasn't shown us more than once that he's willing to throw black artists under the bus to save his own back. We all know how he allowed Janet Jackson to get demonized after that Super Bowl incident, and this happened after Justin pretty much copied everything he could from Janet's brother Michael. And we also can't forget that Pharrell previously admitted almost all songs on Justin's first album were MJ Rejects. Well, Britney's back to remind us about all of this and more, and Justin's response just made him look even more guilty. Let's break it down. But I just knew it needed to have that attitude. So Justin Timberlake really said what goes around comes back around, not knowing it really would. Justin spent years taking advantage of Britney's silence while she was under conservatorship and used her name to advance his own career. But that era is finally over and Britney is now telling her side of the story. Among many bombshells that Britney revealed in her new memoir about her relationship with Justin, she also exposed him for being a culture vulture. Of course, the most glaring example of this was the 2004 Super Bowl incident, when Justin performed with Janet Jackson and ripped her dress. Now, whether this incident was staged or not is irrelevant, because the way Justin behaved after the incident showed his true character. The media was brutal to Janet, and everyone blamed her for supposedly offending the public, while Justin painted himself as the victim and complained that the incident caused him embarrassment. I mean, I was completely embarrassed. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated at the whole situation. I'm frustrated that my character is being questioned. I don't feel like I need publicity like this. Meanwhile, Janet was forced to issue a public statement of apology, and she was disinvited from the Grammy Awards. The Grammys were being held the week after the Super Bowl, and Janet was scheduled to perform a tribute to Luther Vandross. However, former Viacom CEO Les Moonves pulled her invite and he also ordered that all of Janet's singles and music videos be blacklisted from CBS, MTV, and all radio stations under Infinity Broadcasting Group. By the way, this is the same Les Moonves who was later forced to step down as chairman of CBS after multiple women exposed him for SA. However, Les had no issues with Justin performing at the Grammys after the Super Bowl incident, and Justin even won the Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance for Crimea River, a song he wrote about his breakup with Britney. Another example of cultural appropriation is, can be seen through like dance and music, right? So. There are so many instances where elements of black culture and dance and music are adopted without the regards for cultural significance, kind of leading to the erasure of the history of struggle and cultural nuances that are really present in their original forms. Now, the first example I have for you guys is the band Joe. And I know a lot of people did not know this, but the banjo has roots in West Africa. Like, you know, when I was watching the banjo and um as a child, there's this movie. What is it's this it's this doggone cartoon movie I used to watch, um, Into the Woods or something like that, but it was a cartoon and they it had this little um ram and um he he used to play the banjo. But what I'm trying to get at is that like in America, when we think of the banjo, we think of like folk music and folk folk music and um, like deep country music and stuff like that. We think of rednecks 
you know, Confederate flags, moonshine, dip. That's what I think of when I think of the banjo, a bonfire. A lot of people out there with no shoes on in the middle of a blizzard. That's what I think of when I think of the banjo. But what essentially during the uh, transatlantic slave trade, um, those Africans who were brought to the different places throughout the diaspora, they made and they brought instruments that resembled the instruments from their homelands to America. What they did was they made it out of products here. So that instrument originally came from Africa, traveled via the transatlantic slave trade and made its way to America. And it was recreated out of the local forestry, local wood, local string and recreated. Now during enslavement, and after emancipation for fun, um, slaves or newly free people, they would sing and they would entertain people from their porches, like in their homes and people would gather, people would be able to hear the banjo and song like out, especially down in the South. What happened was essentially and allegedly, a white couple um, happened to encounter a family playing and um, singing one afternoon and they went and reassembled it and they got the credit for it. It was adopted and it was a popularized in American music without its proper representation of its African origins. And then it was, I guess, so, like it, it clung so tightly that now when we think of the banjo, we don't think about black people whatsoever. It's associated with poor white subs. <laughs> I don't give a piss about nothing but the tide, baby. I don't give a piss about nothing but the tide. Blitz, Bama, Blitz, baby. Blitz, Bama, Blitz. I love America and I love the tide, baby. Just general examples of cultural appropriation um, in a broader context really includes the adoption of black cultural elements by members of a majority group for financial or social gain, as well as the wearing of black hairstyles such as dreadlocks by non-black individuals without facing the same consequences that black individuals do because of systemic racism. And honestly and truly, um, you know, um, karma's real. <laughs> <laughs> karma's real now um my favorite thing right now especially when it comes to like the adoption of uh black hairstyles and stuff by other cultures is um they karma's traction alopecia <laughs> yes baby they be gone you know and i don't this is specifically for the white vultures um come here albino vultures y'all hell you know what? I ain't even gonna try to correct y'all. Y'all do what y'all wanna do. You do what you wanna do and you do it well. And you do it until your hair fall out. That's what you do. Cause y'all already be going bald before 13. It be real bad. It be real bad. We be seeing freshmen in college. They don't be having no hair on top of their head. And I know they be sad. 
they be stuck like glue to them baseball cap. Y'all need to just, you know, embrace it. Just embrace your little limp hair. Embrace it. It's okay. But y'all really, really bad about that and then get mad because karma's real. You put the 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 what locks the I don't them dreads in your you put them Grinch fingers up in your head and then get mad when traction alopecia is a real thing. Now do that make sense? No. Or um, you know, they was going they was going crazy over that Miel oil last year. They were putting that black woman oil up in their hair. No, they ain't supposed to have all this stanky gunk all up in their hair because their hair can't hold oil like that. They don't need oil. They need water and soap. When we keep on trying to tell them, put water and soap on your body, baby. Don't put no more oil on them. So another example is going to be the Asian community because they be working my nerves as well as a group, not individually. So when we talk about like this financial gain that come from the yellow vultures, they gatekeep black hair like there is no tomorrow. So the one thing you will never see in America, you will never see a commercial for no Chinese food. You ain't never going to see no commercial for no black hair stores. And you're not going to see no commercial for no, no nail shops. And they are owned by Asian people. And there's hundreds of them. They everywhere. It's going to be more hair shops and nail salons than it's going to be churches in America by the time these Asian folks get done. And it ain't nothing wrong with that. Get your hustle on. Get your flow on. You know what I'm saying? The problem is when you gatekeep stuff and you don't allow other people to get in. Now, if I were to go about trying to, let's say, open my own hair business, my own hair store where I sold, I sold wigs, and lashes and hair and two-piece sets and douches all types of stuff within this stuff now if i wanted to get into the business it would be extremely hard for me why because they purposely put all the manufacturing information in in chinese languages they um most of the buyers and the sellers are in asia and they speak whatever Asian language they speak. They don't want us, black people, the ones that they selling to, they don't want us in on this game and they gatekeeping it off and they perpetuating these stereotypes and they also pushing these styles and these different fashions and they taking it from us and they making money off of us and they not, they not giving us our just due. Now, when we are discussing cultural appropriation, it is so important to be able to accurately describe why cultural appropriation is detrimental to minority communities, specifically to the African-American community. So with that in mind, what I want to do is talk about some of the negative consequences of cultural appropriation in the black community, as well as give you all a few examples of those consequences, right? So the ones we'll be focusing on in this episode is going to be the commodification of black culture, the reinforcement of negative stereotypes, as well as economic exploitation. Now, 
I am focusing on these three subjects, there are a lot of other negative consequences from cultural appropriation on minority communities. Um, a few of them are economic exploitation and the overshadowing of black artists, as well as the diminishment of the originality, as well as the significance of black creation and the historical context of black struggle. But let's focus on the meat and the potatoes when we are talking about cultural appropriation and the detrimental effects thereof. First, we're gonna be talking about the commodification of black culture. The phrase itself, commodification of black culture, refers to the process of turning aspects of black culture, like music, fashion, or traditions into commodities or things that people can buy for commercial gain. And those people are often outside of the black community. Now this involves the exploitation and the misrepresentation of black culture for profit without giving proper credit or benefit to the original creators. Now the commodification of black culture is a form of cultural appropriation and it can contribute to the marginalization of black communities. The commodification of black culture involves turning aspects of black cultures into commodities for commercial gain, okay? A great example of this can be seen, um, I guess like in the rap community again, um, we hear so many rumors about artists, specifically like um, new rappers, female rappers, male rappers that are just getting signed and they're placed into these terrible contracts where they're benched or their music is used for profit and they make a little to nothing um, from the money but the people who own the rights to the music music are making millions. Um, oftentimes, especially with like movie creations, they will use people's music and will become famous off of it and they won't give the original creditors their credit or a portion of money. Or then we see people who will participate in different forms of art and they never get paid or they were waiting years to be able to get paid. Um, that also can be seen with the Taraji P. Hansen um, situation that's going on right now. Um, I'm just tired of working so hard, being gracious at what I do, getting paid a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of hearing my sisters say the same thing over and over. Taraji P. Henson's brutally honest and emotional explanation of Hollywood's pay disparity is going viral. I hear people go, you work a lot. Yeah. Well, have to. The math ain't mathin'. Big bills come with what we do. Yes. We don't do this alone. The no. fact that we're up is a whole entire team behind yes. us. Yes. They have to get paid. Taraji was echoing Monique, talking about how she's been in the industry, Hollywood, for years, and she's still not given her just due she's still not being paid her her weight so um that is a big issue because people profit off of all this stuff i think um terrence howard was talking about um the movie he did um hustle and flow check this out i made twelve thousand dollars for doing hustle and flow 
And then on top of it, what Paramount did, instead of putting my name as Terrence Howard performing the, the songs, right. they put performed by DJ. Well, they own DJ. So guess what? The performance royalties went to Paramount. They went, Wait a so minute. They didn't go to Terrence Howard. Howard. They went to $12,000. All, that's all I ever made from Hustle and Flow. Everything else went right back into Paramount. So now I got to sue Paramount or send them a letter. Are you serious? I got to send them a letter to say, hey, you guys owe me about 20 years worth of residuals and, and performance royalties. But I didn't know. I was just, right, trying, right, I was just right. trying to pay my rent then. I made $6,000 doing, doing Crash. Crash didn't. I remember the movie Crash. Yes, that's right. That's right. The business don't pay actors anything. That's why we're. That's why the strike is going on. Actors are struggling. As you and I were kind of joking earlier, it's hard out here for a pimp. Yeah, it is hard unless you do it right. He talked about all the music that was created in the movie and how he never uh, received any royalties for any of the um, music. And you know, you got all these people appropriating this culture. And um, the black people who are creating this art are being exploited for profit without giving proper credit or benefit to the original creator. So that is um, one of the negative side effects of uh, cultural appropriation. Now, um, another, the next example of a negative side effect of cultural appropriation is the reinforcement of stereotypes. Um, and I feel like in America, we, I feel like all over the world, we love us a good stereotype. But what happens when you um, culturally appropriate is when is that you reinforce those stereotypes because you're perpetuating um, negative and overly simplified concepts of different cultures. And what it does is it involves these elements from a culture. And typically those who appropriate do not understand nor do they respect, nor do they care about their significance. And that often leads to the commodification and fetishization of the culture. And what it does is it, it creates deeper roots on already existing stereotypes. And it leads to this trivialization of historical oppression. So it means nothing. So the example that I have for you all when it comes to reinforcement of stereotypes is the black scent. And this is a, also a really hot topic right now because what I want you all to understand that black culture is the pinnacle of popular culture. It is a form of social currency if you know how to appropriate it correctly. So in order to be considered popular, in order to be considered cool or socially acceptable, specifically like on social media or around specific groups of people, people will adopt things like a black scent. Now, the term black scent is, is a term used to describe the imitation of black English by non-black people. So it is a mixture of the word black and accent. And what it does is it refers to the fake accent used by individuals, particularly those who could be considered racist and cultural appropriators, also known as the vultures, when they mimic black people. Now, it's not just white people 
in this day and age that be trying to mimic um us as black people now there are instances where when um white people get around black people what they do is is they'll put on their black scent in order to try to connect like you won't learn our history but you'll learn the lingo and then use it inappropriately and wrong as a way to try to connect with someone and this is the problem come in vultures come in i want you to sit down i want you to listen and understand because you look stupid you're a dummy bitch you will never know shit so the country of america north america is very very vast there are black people all across the united states of america in different regions so when you have a group of people in different areas across a vast amount of land in each region there is going to be a different accent a different set of vernacular as well as um different lingo so if you go to the east coast you in new york you're in new jersey you in the dmv them niggas you and chew and chew all that that's them you not gonna go to atlanta and and talk like that nor would you go to mississippi alabama or california and use these different types of words and slang and it's gonna sound right because it's not because it's used in different type of context and also african-american vernacular is a tonal language so they're the way that we project the tone and the words that we speak and the way that we say it has a, a understanding that's rooted within the culture okay so the problem is, is when people adopt these black sense they're using what is popular or what sounds cool to them from all these different parts of the United States. You know, they also like the, you know, the Toronto accent is real big too. In and what I don't like is if the business is true that you left your moms in the hood, somebody go smoke that you. You don't leave your moms nowhere. You have money and you left your moms there? Yo, you're sick to my stomach, fam. But if it's not true, Shorty's just talking shit. You know, that's a whole bunch of white people up there in Toronto mimicking, like, African-American vernacular, hip-hop vernacular, like, drug culture. It just don't sound right because it's an amalgamation of words with no historical context. And the thing about it is, is that African-American vernacular is one of the last existing languages where we as black people still sound like our ancestors throughout the years. If you talk to me, I sound like I'm supposed to be enslaved. Somebody told me the other day I sound like Frederick Douglass, and I'm okay with it, but I sound like my ancestors. You have all these Europeans that moved over here from Great Britain, France, from Prague, from Portugal, they don't sound like their ancestors anymore. We do. And that's why when you hear people using a black scent, it's so, it sounds stupid, it's not used correctly, and it's disrespectful. I, you know, I'm not, I'm just gonna look at you crazy. I'm not gonna get mad, but that's me. It's 
it's, it's niggas out here liable to knock your head off if you fuck around and you say the wrong thing and you know that that is what it is so the use of a black scent has been criticized for perpetuating stereotypes and for not acknowledging the diversity of black vernacular and it's some examples um it's this asian woman right now going viral on tiktok they calling her miss cornbread baby got me some soul food so we got the fried fish with yam mac and cheese cornbread and she said she from some country over there in asia baby and um she was born over there boo but her heart and her soul is in Atlanta. It's in Highland. And that's why she talked like that, because her neighbors is black. I guess. I guess. Then you have the example of white masculine lesbians. Um, they um the butch, the butch queens, they and the, the white studs and them and the LGBTQIA plus community. And, you know, it's nothing wrong with being gay, but, you know, I really like a white woman that sound like a white woman and act like a white woman. Because these white masculine studs, if you was blind, you would have thought them was niggas talking to you. They sad. They wear the drawers. They got polo drawers. They wearing polo red. Okay. They, they like Gucci, too. The reason that a lot of white mask lesbians talk how they think black men sound is because of the hyper-masculinization of black men that dates all the way back to slavery. Um, I know that's a lot to take in, especially if you're a white mask lesbian in the way I'm describing. So before you comment, just, just, uh, just breathe for a second, let me explain. So we already know that like black men are viewed in a hyper-masculine way. Like they're seen as more aggressive, they're seen as, as like dangerous and like really just, I don't know, hyper-masculine. Under a white supremacist social system, which we have upheld for a long time, that's how they're viewed, unfortunately. Because of this, I've found that white men, while they're talking, they'll like try to like sprinkle in AAVE uh, when they want to sound more masculine. Um, and they usually do it wrong. I also think people understand that one for the most part. However, what no one is really talking about is how a lot of mask lesbians who are white will like not just sprinkle in AAVE in wrong ways. They like try to kind of embody it. And it, it, it ends up being like really weird. And this is where you get the hey mama's lesbian, right? And I find it disappointing to see white queer people not only adopt certain racist ideas, but to also like embody them in their queer identity. Okay, that's it. And if this was difficult for you to digest, either one, you're just not ready for intellectual conversations, or two, you haven't read up enough on this issue in particular, which is fine. If you look up hypermasculinity and black men, you'll learn a lot. And if you're having a very defensive reaction to this, like if you think I'm attacking you, uh, or actually, I don't know. I don't have any advice for you. This form of cultural appropriation, like when we are discussing the reinforcements of stereotypes, it is a form of colonialism because it involves members of a dominant culture adopting elements of a minority culture without permission and often from their own benefit. Okay, so what do you benefit? You benefit social currency. Now you ain't 
I mean, and some people benefit actual currency, like Miss Cornbread. She she going viral on TikTok. They probably got her in the beta creator program up there. She you can make money off of that by sitting up there acting black. And that's what they be telling them folks. Get on social media and make black people upset. You'll go viral and you'll make some money. I guess my question is at what cost? Because after these folks get done with you, they going to report you to the police, to your job, to, to Homeland Security, to DHS, CPS. And please don't be Mexican because they might just call ice on your ass. So just be you. You do you. The reason why black people can tell almost instantly when someone is faking their AAVE and is just like saying shit that they heard on the internet and that, but that they think might sound cute is because like regionally black people sound so different across the country that like when black people hear each other speak, you can be like, oh, I know I can probably guess where you're from. For example, Gurley says she was born in, I think, Thailand um, and now she lives in Georgia but why the fuck is she talking like she grew up in Baton Rouge, Florida and moved to Baltimore? But like when you have no experience with black people that are not in your actual community and you have no experience with black people that are not on the internet, that are all from disparate areas of the entire fucking country, of course, AABE all sounds like the exact same thing to you. Now, the next part that I wanted to discuss when we are talking about the negative effects of um, cultural appropriation is the erasure of history of struggle and the cultural nuances in black culture. Now, oftentimes this is occurring when elements of black culture are adopted and used, you know, without proper representation, without respect, without the acknowledgement of their significance and their origin. The erasure it comes in multiple forms. Um, and the problem is the fact that there is a lack of credit given to Black individuals for their creative and intellectual contribution. And the distortion of these historical experiences of Black communities and the neglect of the cultural nuances and the traditions that shape Black communities. So uh, an example of the erasure of the history of struggle and cultural nuances in black culture. Again, you can look towards Kim Kardashian and her wearing the Fulani braid back in 2016. I asked if it was ever okay for certain groups or ethnicities to wear or emulate another style or mannerisms. Now, Kim Kardashian is part Armenian. Is it okay for her to wear cornrows? personally think that it depends on what boundaries that culture has set. So I can speak for black culture. The reason why, you know, some of us are offended and have problems with white women wearing braids is because it's documented. Black women are getting fired from their jobs wearing braids. We are called ghetto. We are not seen as professional with our natural cultural hairstyles that are part of black culture. And then when white women wear them, they are glorified, praised, and even sometimes have the credit attributed to them. So that discrepancy is what where the issue comes into play. If I could respond to that, I think you can speak for yourself as an individual as far as whether or not you are offended by something, but you can't speak on behalf of the entire black culture. There are plenty of black people who watched what Kim Kardashian did, 
and thought the braids looked absolutely fine. And again, I do think imitating is flattery. She didn't step up and say that she's invented the hairstyle. If people attribute that to her, that's something that you do on an individual basis. I feel like it's important to understand the difference between imitating and actually appropriating. So imitating is like, you like my nails, you go do it, you copy it. Imitating, you like my shoes, buy the same shoes. Sure. Appropriating is when you are copying something of a culture that is not yours and you are, it's inappropriate. You are disrespecting the boundary that that culture has set. If I copied your shoes tomorrow because I like them, would that not be appropriation? I have not set a boundary against you about the shoes I wear. I don't face discrimination or racism because of the shoes that I wear. So if I, as a biracial half-black woman, go to Kim Kardashian and say, you know what, that's not a boundary that I've set for you. You may wear cornrows. And I am essentially a black person who has told her I don't have that boundary. Is it then wrong for her to well, wear the braids the next day? That work, that comes into play. You're going to, if you do that, you're going to ignore the, like there's countless documentation of a lot of black women being like discriminated and, and experiencing racism because of braids. So by doing that, you're kind of just dissing and ignoring the black women that are struggling with this issue, especially because you have to think, Kim Kardashian has an extremely large platform. Mm -hmm. So what she does, her fans see as law and see as she can do no wrong. So if she is seen as if something is being, that it's, it's okay, they're going to copy her, which will- well, What do the rest of y'all think? A couple years ago, Kim Kardashian was um, in the news trending because she had um, some Falani braids. And this is a hairstyle that is closely associated to black culture. And um, some people call them the Boderic braids. So um, what happened is, is that she was wearing the set it off scalp braids in the front and then midway through the scalp you know they go back and they fall down you look like an island guy right so she was wearing them and you know black women got upset as they should because these braids are not Fulani braids well they are Fulani braids modernly or Bo Derrick braids the name modernly but they're corn rolls they're a form of corn rolls now, the term Fulani braid, it refers to a hairstyle worn by a Belgian footballer named Maron Fulani. And he wore his hair in cornrows. But my ancestors back in Africa, my ancestors in the Caribbean, in Colombia, the ancestors down here in America, they've been doing cornrows, set it off braids to the back for years. So there's a deep cultural and historical significance in the black community, particularly for black women in regards to their hair. Now, in regards to the cornrows, the Falani, the Falani braids, specifically the style originated in Africa. But the thing is, is that these braids were not just a fashion statement but it was a way to convey social and cultural information, okay? According to scholars in Africa, braids were a way to show people who you were. It was a signifier. It was a form of social currency. It signified your tribe. It signified your marital status. It signified your wealth, your religion, and so many other freaking things. But the significance and the historical contribution of cornrows changed throughout time. So that was pre-colonization. 
Now, during the transatlantic slave trade, cornrows served as a form of communication and survival. And, okay, you asking yourself, how, how, how? So the enslaved Africans, they used cornrows as a way to create maps for escape routes. Bitch, how the fuck you gonna find the North Star and you gonna go up north to freedom with Harriet if you ain't got no map? let alone you can't read what you do you put the map on the back of the bitch head that's going with you that's brilliant not only did they create maps for escape routes they hid seeds they hid rice in their hair and they used it whenever they got hungry whenever they wanted to plant something okay so it's a unique method of hiding these dry foods in the brain in the braids as a form of survival and gave an entirely new meaning to the phrase a protective style you picking up what i'm putting down so the tradition of braiding maps into cornrows to aid in the escape of enslavement is supported by many oral traditions maintained in Afro-Columbian communities. You can go down there and ask them to this day what they've been playing in folks' heads for years. And they're going to say, oh, it's just funny, Brave. We are, I mean, like, it's just Brave. You cannot just tell us that it's just hair. We, and then, then they get up there and they say some of the most ridiculous stuff. We have braids and our the braids they come from Viking, they come from Norish, they come from all this. I'm like, baby, y'all ain't had nothing but that duke and little fishtail braid to the back. Y'all have pigtails, ponytails, okay. And honestly, Europeans, especially like during like the crusades and stuff. Didn't the Bible say don't be putting no braids in your hair so they don't seduce them men? You're not supposed to. White women not even supposed to have no braids in their hair. And here they go. They they put it on in there. Go on, do it. Let me give you some advice when you go to the store, baby. You're going to go. I'm going to tell you now. If you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Listen, listen to me. Come here, boy. You go, go to the Dollar Tree. Go to the Dollar Journal. They're going to have a section of uh 50% um yakky um braid in here you want it to look as shiny as possible like really close to like a plastic texture that's what you're gonna get um it, and get it real cheap it don't it don't be expensive you can get any hair really and put it up in there now when the girl get to putting the felony braids in your hair i want you to ask her to grip it real tight and when she put the braid in hair up in your hair, don't tell her you don't want no feed in it. That's for us, because, you know, our hair text is a little different. What you're going to need is the original knot around them edges. Tell her to put her finger there and put that knot up there around your edge. And tell her to grip it real tight, because, you know, your hair is a little slippery. You know, that's, that's what you're going to do. And you take my word for it. Get you some cankalon. And tell her to burn the ends. Don't dip it. She gonna get you right. That's what she gonna do. And you can be just like us for the low, low price of $5.99 braiding here. 
Okay, so the erasure perpetrates a cycle of marginalization and misrepresentation. And what it does is it hinders the full recognition and celebration of Black culture and contributions to the global cultural landscape. Cultural appreciation, cultural appropriation, the difference. Appreciation is when someone seeks to understand and learn about another culture in order to broaden their perspective and connect with others. Appropriation, on the other hand, is simply taking one aspect from a culture and using it for your own personal interests. It's all about knowing the history. For example, cornrows are not just a hairstyle. Enslaved Africans would create maps in order to leave the plantation. They would also hide food in there so they wouldn't starve. Yoga and martial art isn't just a sport, certain mantras have spiritual meaning and malabeads are a tool that is used to focus your attention during meditation and not just jewellery or decoration. War bonnets or headdresses are not an accessory you wear at a music festival. I know there's different types but ideally they're worn by men who were fierce warriors and are represented honour and respects amongst their tribe. I think the problem lies with someone outside the culture wearing this will get positive feedback, someone within the culture will get negative. This doesn't happen all the time but the fact that it does is an issue. Now before anyone comes to me and says I can do what I want you can but would you not want to be respectful baby I know what you're saying Morgan the vultures is swarming what do I do what do I do baby well like I said the vultures they like to prey on the weak and the dead and they like to take and they like to steal they they got sticky fingers and what happens when they steal well when they get the loot we get the shoe. You grab your pellet gun and we gonna shoot them down. And how do we do that? We shoot them down by preserving and protecting black culture. And I know you saying, bitch, well, how, how I get there? That's a lot. That sound beautiful. Sound beautiful. How we get there? Well, it's two things I can recommend to you, my dog, loved one. Um, the first one is uh, cultural appreciation, and the second one is gatekeeping. So what is cultural appreciation? Cultural appreciation is different from cultural appropriation, okay? Now, cultural appreciation involves honoring and respecting another culture as a way to gain knowledge and Cultural appreciation is the earnest effort to understand and learn about another culture in order to broaden one's perspective and connect with others cross culture. What it does, it involves seeking to honor the beliefs and the traditions of a culture without exploiting them for personal gain. Cultural appreciation can help combat cultural appropriation by promoting mutual respect and understanding between different cultures, thereby reducing the likelihood of demeaning or dishonoring practice. Now, I like uh, cultural appreciation, and I'll give you a great example of that as well. Now, outside of people in Asia, do you know who likes um, anime the most? Niggas. Niggas, black people like Asian culture as a whole. And outside of the real ignorant ones, because we got a few, you know, some, some niggas got left behind. Some of the children did get left behind. Some of them got dropped on the head. Some of them got fetal alcohol poison syndrome, you know. 
all of us is uh made by god but we all not children of god and you know it's always gonna be a few but for the collective the well educated they show so much cultural appropriation uh, a cultural appreciation for like the asian community they'll go out there and there are large there are groups and communities of black people living within asia who respect the culture and don't appropriate they love food they learn about the history the culture the heritage them niggas, niggas in america right now learning japanese reading books watching understanding all this stuff like that is one of the greatest like understanding of cultural appreciation and they're not gonna gain nothing personally outside of insight and perspective but this valuable enough for them because they got their own culture and they understand it and i want i want for some of the other the, the white the albino vultures and the jaundice vultures i want y'all to pick up on that y'all can like what we do and you can appreciate what we do you can even love it but you can't take what we do and even if you took it you still wouldn't be able to do it or pull it off the way we would be able to do it so let's just i'ma do me you just do you and it ain't nothing wrong it ain't nothing wrong with it so i want us to i want y'all to practice on promoting that mutual respect and the understanding between different types of cultures. And that will end up reducing the likelihood of demeaning or dishonoring practices. It'll keep people from getting upset. Just try to genuinely engage with the people, try to learn about that culture and try to avoid perpetrating harmful stereotypes and um, deepening these types of divides between these communities because you know that's really what y'all out here doing now the second way to combat the vultures is gatekeeping now personally anytime i get on social media and i talk about black people gatekeeping the conditions the the, the traditions gatekeeping the community the lingo the swag white people get really really upset with me and you know that's their problem i can't do nothing about what they get upset about but i do feel like when i say the phrase gatekeep it has a negative connotation associated with it so you I, you need to ask me morgan what does it mean to gatekeep and i'm glad you asked me that question beloved i'm glad you asked me that question loved one to gatekeep traditions means to control or to limit the access to and the knowledge about cultural practice, customs, or information. Zip it, loose lips, act like you can hold some water. The term gatekeep is often used in the context of preserving or restricting access to certain cultural elements. It can also refer to withholding knowledge or information from others, creating a sense of exclusivity. This concept has been widely discussed in various contexts from cultural preservation to online communities. So for example, on TikTok, the phrase gatekeep is used to describe the withholding of knowledge from the masses, such as of makeup products or seeds. Um, in the gaming community, 
gatekeeping involves preventing new players from joining a community which can be off-putting to potential newcomers all in all the term has truly been associated with creating a sense of exclusivity and the authenticity and influencer culture in social media and it needs to be applied within the black community y'all need to start telling the vultures baby you can't sit with us no we're exclusive you you can hate from outside of the club but you can't get in that's what y'all need to tell them jokers no 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 you can't act like me you don't let nobody act black and then come home and be white <laughs> you don't do that and that is what it is because the more and more y'all just be wanting to let folks in let most folks in and then they're gonna get bored with it and then they're gonna adopt it into popular culture and then it's not gonna be our shit no more it's gonna be everybody's shit and they gonna feel that way about everything but i swear to jesus it's some cultures right now you don't know nothing about that culture when is australian independence day huh you don't know you don't know what the indians and 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 the pueblos if they don't believe in christianity what they do during their holiday you don't know about their sacred traditions. You don't know what them jokers be eating and bringing to the potluck. So why they know all our business? Huh? <laughs> you don't know. Because you's a dummy, bitch. Keep your mouth closed. Place an emphasis on the importance of gatekeeping traditions. Because it's gonna, it, what it does is it garners respect for the black culture as well as for those traditions. Place an emphasis on the importance of gatekeeping those traditions um, because it's seen as a way to get that respect. It's important because when we gatekeep traditions, the Black community can prevent cultural appropriation and the commodification of their cultural elements. Additionally, it can be served to bolster Black community values, practices, and potentially increase the sociological well-being within the community just just be quiet now the concept of gatekeeping is not unique to black culture but it is particularly relevant in the context of preserving and respecting the integrity of black traditions and heritage by controlling and limiting this access to our cultural practices us as the black community we can work to ensure that our narrative is heard in an authentic and meaningful way and as a result it should garner the respect that our cultures and traditions deserve anyone who's been talking about the conversation around gatekeeping and black culture listen to this you need to keep your gates and i think people get upset and annoyed when black people gatekeep because black people are expected to surrender every aspect of who they are for consumption by the American dominant culture. That clip is from Higher Learning, a podcast with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. And honestly, I don't think anyone could say it any better. I personally find it odd that in one hand, 
folks want to demean, diminish, and berate Black culture. And on the other hand, pilfer and appropriate it, strip cultural elements of their meaning to take it as their own. But I also find it disheartening at how so many Black folks don't see the value and the beauty of our own culture. Case in point, how many times we give out cookout invites for people doing basic things like reciting lyrics or doing a dance move when our cookouts are supposed to be our sacred spaces where we get to exist outside of the stereotypes popular culture has set up for us that's why i'm not insulted when people say that i'm a gatekeeper when i'm talking about my culture my culture is valuable to me my heritage matters to me and just like anything that matters to you you're going to put protections around it you're going to set up rules of access to it you're not going to let anyone disrespect it likewise is what we need to do with our culture. Folks wanna talk about cultural exchange and sharing culture. It's not cultural exchange and sharing culture if you have nothing to contribute back to the culture that you're taking from. We aren't just here for your amusement. We aren't just here for your aesthetics. We are a people who have survived much and have come through much. Show some respect for us and show some respect for our things. Shout out to the slaves. Yeah, shout out to the slaves, you feel me? Shout out to Harriet Tubman. Shout out to the real nigga. Shout out to the Mississippi niggas. Yeah, yeah, shout, shout out to the Mississippi, Mississippi niggas. Yeah, big penitentiary tractor dra dragging ass no, niggas. niggas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Want to whisper. And they don't talk loud. They whisper. Dangerous niggas whisper. And shout out again to all those people who hate my guts. Y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world. Keep breaking these men down one at a time. Shout out LGBTQ. You are obsessed and sick. And we are back with the big black shout out, the blackest shout out in the world. For those who do not know, the big black shout out is all about circulating the black dollar back into our communities as well as showcasing black owned hidden gems. Now, this week, I would like to shout out Jolof Radio and Media. Jolof is a podcast and radio platform. And I love it. Jolof is the top African podcast and radio app for African stories, audio books, sports, and so much more. They are available on iOS as well as Android, and they are currently updating their app. So um, they're calling it Jolof Radio 2.0. And the app as well as the website have gotten these major upgrades. You can download it in the app store or whatever y'all got in the Android. And um, it's free. You can completely try it out. Now, if you are looking for new podcasters, um, people like me, you should check out Jolof. I'm also featured on Jolof Radio and they are amazing. Now, if you are within the African diaspora and you have a podcast, audio podcast, a radio show, anything in that type of nature, um, I would recommend that you try to get your um your information put on that platform. It's really easy and they're super nice and easy to talk to and work with so i wanted to give Jolof radio a huge major shout out shout out to you Jolof. now if you or someone that you know has a black owned business you would like a shout out and or you need a shout out make sure you're reaching out to me so i can help y'all out i got a whole platform full of people dying to get their hands on black-owned media, black-owned clothing, 
black on anything. If the hands is black, we won't take our money back. So make sure you are emailing me at the Afrocentric Podcast. That's Afrocentric Podcast at gmail.com. God, he's blessing me, honey. God is blessing all the real bitches across the United States of America and Jamaica and uh, Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Did y'all, y'all know I like to pray? Yeah. Okay, all right. All right, Father God, we just want to give you the thanks and the gratitude again. We love you. And we thank you for blessing us with these opportunities that we have, our careers, our children, our wives, our husbands, our boyfriends, and everything that you blessed us with. Father God, we ask you to continue to bless us. And we got the mall, church. Don't say nothing to me, bitch. I told y'all, bitch, I warned y'all. Stop fucking disrespecting me, bitch. In Jesus' name, stop her. Right now. Put her on her back for playing with you, Lord. Take her name out the last book of life. If she playing with you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We might be sinning, but mm, we can repent tomorrow. We are also praying for the people of Puerto Rico. We love Puerto Rico. There's a leak in this old building And my soul has got to move My soul has got to move My soul has got to move And I'd like to welcome you back to the Bethel Church of Afrocentric Life on Mount Zion, Holy Baptist Church. And this here is the altar call. It's the final segment of any podcast ever sold. I'm just here to let my people know that the Spirit of God is still alive and He's steady moving and circulating and percolating all over this great land and I'm just here to let them know that I'm here and I'm yet praying and fasting and hoping on the church of Bethel church of Afrocentric life on Mount Zion Cherokee Baptist Church we are currently praying for the families and the souls of the 215 victims that were found behind the Jackson prison in the The pastor would like to do a moment of silence. Amen. Now the Bible it tells us that uh, in Matthew 5 4 that Jesus said that Blessed are those who are mourned, for they shall be comforted. And Lord, we are asking for comfort, yes. And Lord, we are also asking for comfort inns and grand hotels, Lord. And we ask that you bless these families until they cup runneth over. Yes, amen. We are also praying for all of the black comedians and entertainers and their families who have been laid to rest by brother cat williams 
Amen. Uh, the funeral services for the home going of all the black comedians and entertainers will be announced on our bulletin board on our website at www.bethelchurchofafrocentriclifeonmountzionkojikbaptichurch.org Lord, we just like to thank you so much for your spirit, dear God. Thank you for moving and grooving in this place. We rebuke all the pocket watchers, the naysayers, the narcissists, pedophiles, stalkers, and all the snitches. Until we meet again, Lord, as we depart this place, but never your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, this has really been a great conversation. I feel like I got a lot, you know, off of my chest. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to me talk about freestyle for the vultures. Yes, um, a few things before I let you guys go. I just want you guys to remember that cultural appropriation can be harmful and damaging to the black community as it often involves theft and exploitation of marginalized cultures. And this specifically goes for the deep generation of the African American community. Let's make sure that we safeguard black cultural heritage and the community maintains control of the narrative as well as continues to promote social justice. So, until we meet again, I want to thank you all so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today. Please remember that Black lives matter. Listen and protect Black women and children. And the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is to be black and die. And here at the Afrocentric Podcast, we're just civilized people and the civilized conversation. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. That's what we do our culture we influence the world mm. everybody wants to be like us they want to look like us they want to talk like us they want to act like us <laughs>